The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So my goal, my priority since the start of the coronavirus pandemic has been to be accurately alarmist for the information that we have. And there was a period back in I think it was December, January, where I was getting emails from people saying, David, you're overly alarmist. This isn't going to be anything. And then there was maybe a little period sort of like in May where I was maybe more optimistic about the situation than some in the audience. But I I think that I've done an okay job at more or less accurately communicating the sort of status of the situation and the outlook with the pandemic. And I have what I think is some accurately but cautiously optimistic news for you today. And although the timing of it is interesting, this is not a political comment, but there is a mathematical coincidence pointing to um, a case and death peak, hopefully the last one of the pandemic right around the time of Joe Biden's inauguration. Now, I'm not making a political segment out of this. It's mere coincidence when we I'll show you the math and the trajectories. But it seems as though right around January 20th, the day that Joe Biden will be sworn in as president, uh, that we will be starting to get past what is hopefully the last peak of this pandemic. And again, it's a coincidence. I'm not claiming January 20th. Joe Biden will be sworn in and covid will be fixed. It is merely a timing coincidence. And we know that these peaks depend on what happens in the weeks and months leading up. But I want to go through it with you because it does feel like we're starting to get into the tunnel. At least we're, we're maybe seeing the light or maybe not, but we're definitely in the part of the tunnel that we would consider the, the latter part of the tunnel. Now, as you may know, We've had three coronavirus peaks in the United States. Many countries have only had two. We've had three. First one was in April. Second one was in July. And the third one is right now. And in this third peak, we've seen cases spike all the way up to close to 250,000 cases in a single day, mostly in the low 200s, 210, 215,000. And what you can also see when looking at the case graph, if you're watching along with me today, is that over the last 10 days, the rate of case growth has slowed down, meaning the curve flattened and it even turned downwards in the last few days. Now, it is quite possible that there's still one more peak to go fueled by holiday and end of year travel and indoor gatherings. We shouldn't do them. It's sort of a foregone conclusion that no matter what I say, many people are going to do them. But the rate of case growth in the US at a at a large broad level is slowing down. Looking at the predictions and the models from a variety of epidemiologists and other experts, the case peak is expected to be right around the end of the of the first week of January, you know, January 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Very rough estimate. And we know that deaths lag cases by about three weeks. And when you look at the deaths chart right now, you see a similar pattern to cases. And while in this third peak, we've started to see the cases come down a bit, we are only seeing the growth of deaths slow down. So we, we likely are about three weeks behind in terms of deaths where we are in cases. So if we see a case peak around, call it January 10th to pick a date, we would expect to see a death peak right around February 1. In all likelihood, and this doesn't justify getting careless, 
It doesn't do anything to change the tragic death and destruction that the virus has already brought to date. But in all likelihood, that in January will be the final peak of this pandemic unless something dramatic changes. Why? Because that will not only be the worst moment in terms of weather and people being indoors. December, January is the coldest time of the year in the parts of the US that have winter. But as the temperature warms and the days get longer and people spend more time outside, we will also have the benefit of the vaccination program. Vaccination has started in the US. We have the approved uh, vaccine from Pfizer emergency use approval. Second vaccine from Moderna expected to be approved for emergency use tomorrow. Third vaccine maybe in the first quarter of the new year. So at the same time that we will be peaking in cases and deaths with the coldest weather and the most people indoors, we will have if all goes to plan all healthcare workers vaccinated by February 1st, all nursing home residents vaccinated by February 1st, and we will be in the process of vaccinating that next most vulnerable group, which will include the oldest folks and those with the most serious comorbidities. And by protecting an additional five to seven percent of the population each month, starting now, going into January, February, March, that peak we're expecting in January is likely to be the final one and have a more rapid decline than without vaccination. So this is all excellent news, but there is still a big battle here. We're still going to have to do all the things we've been. Many of us have been doing, not all of us, masks, social distancing, avoiding indoor gatherings. But it is mathematically looking like we're potentially about three weeks from the case peak of the pandemic and five to six weeks from the death peak. And at that point, the vaccination program will be more robust with millions of vaccinations weekly. So there is a light there. That's the good news. Now, given this, we should be extra cautious in these next months because we're so close. It's not like, listen, this is going to go on for two or three more years and we might be well uh, for psychological reasons. Maybe we take a screw it attitude and just have a good time. Starting now, we will see five ish percent of the country vaccinated each month. That's huge. And we are close to deaths and, and cases starting to decline. So the message is that's the math of it. Those are the expectations. That's where vaccination is. We're just a couple months away from significantly better circumstances, my friends. So let's do everything that we can. Uh, we have been speculating about the future of the Trump family with regard to vaccination. Uh, I'm sorry, with regard to investigation, my mind is still on covid once Donald Trump is no longer president of the United States. And we got some news that might be a sort of a signal about what we are to expect once Donald Trump is out of office. And that's that a state judge ruled yesterday that the Trump organization must turn over documents related to a property whose tax abatements are being investigated by the New York attorney general um, uh, and and well, con will continue to be investigated. And these are this is still going on. These are documents that the Trump organization, this is Trump's business, previously claimed were protected by attorney client privilege. And a, a judge has decided that that is not the case. The attorney general argued these documents are not privileged, partially because the Trump organization waived privilege when it disclosed certain documents to the IRS to gain benefit. And a judge agreed. And we've heard this story before. And many will say, hasn't this been ordered before? 
and they still haven't turned over the documents. And that is true. So what is the difference? Why do we care about this? We care about this for for really two pr uh, primary reasons. Number one, soon Donald Trump is no longer going to be president. And while it wasn't a big part of this case, there are all sorts of other investigations going on into Donald Trump and his uh, business and his uh, uh, finances and his family's finances. Um, and Donald Trump is soon not going to be able to hide behind. I'm the president and this is a burden because I am the president. That's something his lawyers have frequently uh, used to try to make the case that he should be left alone. And they've done it to some degree of success. That opportunity goes away in 35 days, I believe it is. And that's going to change this dramatically. Number two, uh, the legal fees are going to become outrageous even for Trump. And not only is Donald Trump, I mean, listen, he can keep trying to raise money for for legal fees on the basis of I don't, I don't know running. And maybe that's why he'll announce that he's running in 2024 to be able to raise money, which he could maybe legally, maybe not redirect to, to, to legal fees, even if that's a violation of campaign finance law. We, we don't that's not clear yet. Uh, but we have this. We have rumors that Donald Trump is absolutely horrified about the possibility of being deposed in the sexual assault case brought by E. Jean Carroll. If that name rings a bell, it should, because we talked about her in 2016 and 2017. That was on hold while Donald Trump was president. He will soon not be president. Every indication that that story and that case is going to come back in and Donald Trump reportedly horrified about maybe being deposed in that case. And these legal fees are going to build as the legal protections for Trump as president evaporate. And uh, that could dramatically encumber Trump over the next who knows how many years. So this could all get really wild in the six to 12 months after Donald Trump leaves office. We, we talked about starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as the pandemic is concerned. I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the Trump administration. And it's going to be a bad couple of months in terms of the virus. It's going to be a chaotic couple of months in terms of the MAGA people and the QAnoners having to adjust to this reality of Joe Biden as president. There's the possibility of violence. We can never get back the lives lost due to Trump's mishandling of the virus, et cetera, et cetera. But if you zoom out a little bit, vaccination has started. Trump is leaving. Joe Biden is coming in. We have early voting starting in Georgia with Democrats still possibly taking the Senate and the investigations into Donald Trump are starting with numerous now favorable decisions by judges. Now, will they ever get the documents that the judge said have to be turned over? Maybe. And the truth is that these particular documents like this isn't really even the bombshell case. The point here is at some point Trump is going to run out of appeals and or run out of run out of money for appeals in terms of legal fees. And if and when that happens, and I believe it's more a matter of when rather than if uh, this is going to become a very complicated 2021 for Donald Trump very quickly. Make sure you're following me on Twitter where you can find me at D We're going to take a quick break and uh, it's really a packed show today. This, let's actually keep a record of this one because this one I think is going to be pretty good. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
A lot of the shirts you see me wearing on YouTube are actually made by a company called Teddy Stratford. I love these shirts, and that's why I asked them to be a sponsor of the show. It really is the most innovative shirt you can buy because most slim fit button up shirts give you this weird stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are. You don't get that with the Teddy Stratford shirts because all of their shirts come with a patented zipper hidden beneath the buttons, which prevents the chest from stretching apart like that. But most importantly, just overall, it makes the shirt fit much better and look better. The carefully designed shirt is also cut in a way that improves the look of your upper body physique. It has a really nice, elegant, close fit that other shirts don't really give you. It also has a specially designed collar that won't fall down and lay flat, which I love. The difference all around with these shirts really is noticeable. Go check them out at davidpackman.com slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. What if you could read 10 books in just one sitting? That's exactly what one of my favorite apps lets you do. It's called Blinkist. And what they do is take thousands of popular nonfiction books. They condense them down into text or audio that you can consume in 15 minutes. Blinkist makes sure that you're getting all of the important core insights from each book. So it's perfect for exploring a book you otherwise wouldn't have time for. If there's a full book you're thinking about buying, you can use Blinkist to get a sample first. Just think how much you can enrich yourself by being able to soak up an entire nonfiction book in just 15 minutes. I recently checked out the book Podcast Marketing Strategy by Daniel Rolls and Kieran Rogers, and so useful, so particularly applicable to what I'm doing. Really recommend it. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories, and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month, and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. The David Pacman Show is mostly funded by members who sign up at joinpacman.com. I will not waste any more time talking about it because we have such a busy agenda. But uh, I invite you to grab a membership at joinpacman.com where you can also read about all the great membership benefits. Okay, uh, Patriot Mail has become uh, uh, managing the hate mail we have been getting since Joe Biden won the election on November 3rd, November 7th, as it was called by the media. Uh, it, it's almost a, a job in and of itself. The hate mail has so scaled up and I have one such example for you today. But first, a quick reminder. What is Hatriot mail exactly? Last time I checked, this was America and I have the right to share my droplets with whoever I want. Patriot mail written by patriots who hate David Pakman because America and because freedom. Right. So Hatriot Mail is when a professional voiceover artist does interpretive readings of the hate mail that I get. And um, here is, you know, we don't we could do five shows a week of just an hour of hate mail at this point. We really could. 
But here is just one example for you to take a listen to. David Pakman is a frustrated loser. The show is circling the drain. Million subscribers? 50 millions views per month? Lol. How much did you pay SoCal Blad? Almost two years later and David is more cucked than ever. Sore loser. Yes, you lost. Spell loser with a D-A-V-I-D. You are a shill and a fraud. Keep it up. I love those credentials. You know, I did, I learned some stuff from the hate. I, I didn't realize that we had 50 million views in a 30 day period, but we, we actually did, which is insane. And I appreciate this hatred for uh, for, for letting me know about these stunning numbers. I, I love it. The part that's confusing to me is what does we lost mean? Like what exactly what what did we lose? Joe Biden won. Right. And I, I got into an interesting uh, Facebook exchange yesterday against my better judgment with some friends uh, with some, a couple people, the, not my friends, but there are people in the thread who believe that Trump will be sworn in for a second term on January 20th. And here's my question to you. Should we be betting these people money? And what I mean is I'm not a betting man. I don't really bet. Um, but it seems as though there's money to be made betting money against the people who say Trump will be sworn in on January 20th. If they really believe that I'd bet a hundred dollars, I'd bet a thousand dollars. I'd even look at betting more. But I heard from people who tried this with family members and they said that the family members eventually backed out, typically coming up with some excuse like, well, listen, it, it's all rigged like if if it weren't rigged, Trump would be getting sworn in. So I'm no longer participating in the bet, which is, of course, the point of the bet. The point of the bet is, will Trump be sworn in? Not would Trump be sworn in if right, as I said before, if my grandmother had wheels instead of legs, she would be a bicycle. It's not. Well, Trump would have been sworn in were it not, quote, rigged. The bet is, will he be sworn in? That seems like easy money to me, but maybe it's taking advantage of people who can't even think straight. Let me know what your thoughts are. And remember that the way to fight patriotism in your community is to use the coupon code Hatriot 40 when you get a membership. This is a code that has been often used, much imitated, never equaled. Hatriot 40 saves you 40 percent at joinpacman.com and it's spelled H A T R I O T four zero. Okay, uh, Donald Trump's press secretary and senior campaign advisor, Kaylee McEnany, held a press briefing yesterday. And if anything has become clear in the last five weeks, it's that she is absolutely determined and committed to going down with the ship in the most humiliating way possible. Kaylee McEnany, you may remember, it feels like a decade ago, but it was not that long ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. On her first day in the press briefing room as White House press secretary, Kaylee promised the media she would never lie to them and she would never lie to the American people. But <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, she's she's done nothing but lie ever since. So let's look at some highlights or really, I guess they would be lowlights from what is closer and closer to being her last briefing as White House press secretary. She's asked a question, understandably, logically about the fact, and it is a fact that the Electoral College has voted. Will Donald Trump now acknowledge that he lost, given that the Electoral College has voted on Monday? And without a shred of irony, 
Kaylee McEnany refers the question to the campaign of which she is a senior advisor. Remember, Ben. Kelly, uh, now that the Electoral College has voted, does the president acknowledge that Joe Biden is the president-elect? Does he have any plans to invite him here to the White House? Um, the president is still involved in ongoing litigation related to the election. Uh, yesterday's vote was one step in the constitutional process, so I will leave that to him and refer you to the campaign for more on that litigation. What is his reaction to uh, Leader McConnell today congratulating Joe Biden and calling him the president-elect? I haven't gotten the president's reaction to that yet, but the president, um, again, is pursuing ongoing litigation, would refer you to the campaign for further. And what's the path forward, though, for litigation? If, if the votes have been certified, if the Electoral College has voted, there doesn't seem to be a legal recourse at this point. The campaign would have more specifics for you on legal recourse, but yesterday was one step in the constitutional process leading up to the January 20th date in the Constitution. This is such a tired, farcical game that she's been playing. If it's convenient, she's the White House press secretary. And if it's convenient, she's the White House. She's the Trump campaign senior advisor. And you're going to have to ask the other entity about that, uh, that that question. It's actually completely embarrassing at this point, and she doesn't care. She just keeps using that to avoid answering questions. Uh, no question is simple for Kaylee McEnany. The answer is always weird. She was asked a pretty straightforward question. Will Trump take the vaccine? And she says Trump is open to taking the vaccine. Well, but will he take it? We don't actually get an answer to that part. Does the president plan to take the vaccine and really do it in a public way to inspire confidence among people? So the president um, currently at this moment has said he is absolutely open to taking the vaccine. He's been emphatic about that uh, to me privately and to you all publicly. Um, but he did recently recover from COVID. Um, he has the continued protective effects of the monoclonal antibody cocktail that I mentioned. Um, and he will receive the vaccine as soon as his medical team determines it's best. But his priority is frontline workers, those in long term care facilities, and he wants to make sure that the vulnerable get uh, access first. Yes. Uh, wouldn't him taking the vaccine set an example for Americans to give them confidence? Doctors, uh, uh, Dr. Fauci, as well as Amata Salui, both said today that they think President Trump should get the vaccine. If A, you know, because of the, the, for himself, but B, to set an example. Will he do that? Like, why not do it just to show Americans that it's safe? Because he also wants to show Americans that our priority are the most most vulnerable. There will be uh, some senior administration officials taking it publicly to instill that confidence. It is very important. This is not merely a cop out answer. It's actually dangerous because Kaylee cites as a reason maybe Trump doesn't need the vaccine, the fact that he had coronavirus and recovered for it. So he has naturally derived immunity. That's still a question mark. Why? Why? When you know that the followers of this president are disproportionately anti-science Trump brown nosers who will do anything they can to excuse behaving less safely. We don't know how long immunity lasts after a recovery from the virus. That's an open question. We don't know whether you have stronger, longer lasting, more robust immunity if you recover from a serious case of the virus versus if you had one of those asymptomatic cases. We just these are open questions and it's irresponsible for her to be saying that maybe Trump doesn't really need the vaccine or needs it less because he recovered for the, from the virus. CDC guidelines and equivalent guidelines around the world from from other country health uh, uh, agencies are regardless of whether you've had the virus, when a vaccine becomes available, you should get the vaccine. Moving on, Kaylee again says that Donald Trump will veto military funding partially 
because he's angry at Twitter. Do uh, you know when specifically when the president will veto the National Defense Authorization Act, when he's going to send the paperwork over? And why would he veto that given the fact that passed on veto-proof majorities in Congress? So he still does plan to veto uh, the NDAA. Don't have a timeline for you on that, but he does plan to veto it. Um, he wants to make every effort to protect our military men and women, um, and will prioritize military funding in the big omnibus bill. But um, he also has other important priorities and, and I should say problems with the NDAA beyond just the absence of Section 230 repeal um, and beyond the inclusion of the Warren Amendment. Um, one of the provisions of concern is troop um, provisions about troop withdrawal and deployment in Afghanistan, South Korea uh, and Germany. And so there are a number of provisions that. Um so I let me remind you about that. Trump has talked about this Section 230 thing. Section 230 is a provision which essentially says that if there is uh, illegal, libelous or otherwise uh, uh, problematic content on a platform like Twitter or YouTube, it is not Twitter or YouTube that are liable. It's whoever posts it that is liable. And Donald Trump believes that if you eliminate Section 230, a lot of anti Trump trends would be shut down. Like, for example, when Donald Trump sat at that tiny desk and attacked people on Thanksgiving Day and then the hashtag diaper dawn trended on Twitter, diaper dawn, sort of an allusion to um, uh, the, the petulant child that is Donald Trump. Trump went crazy talking about Section 230, Section 230. If we get rid of it, tw Twitter would never allow Diaper Dawn to trend. Now, there's really no legal liability with Diaper Dawn, a hashtag about not just a public person, but one of the most powerful public figures in the world. So that actually wouldn't change Diaper Dawn from trending. But what Trump seems not to understand is that if Section 230 is eliminated, he likely gets banned from Twitter because of the things he posts to Twitter, which are wrong public health disinformation, election disinformation, posts that direct bullying against individuals. Trump seems to, to think his problems go away if Section 230 goes away. In fact, he probably gets banned from Twitter if Section 230 goes away. All right. So that's that's that to get back on track. Kaylee continues to allude to a second Trump term starting on January 20th. It's all coded language, but here she refers to, listen, we're ready for a transition and we're also ready for a continuation of power and either might happen. The Electoral College has voted. It, it, it's over. But Kaylee continues to, to play this game. Biden's cabinet picks. Uh, President Trump had the benefit of the Senate starting hearings and starting the process before he was inaugurated in January uh, of 2017. Um, does the president oppose the Senate taking up uh, Joe Biden's nominees before the inauguration. I think that's a hypothetical, um, and you know he won't get ahead of um, that activity actually happening. But he has taken all statutory requirements um, necessary to in either ensure a smooth transition or a continuation of power. Just absolutely out of her mind. Just, there, there's no there's no caveat here. There's no mitigating factor. She's just pushing nonsense. The Electoral College voted on Monday. Uh, Joe Biden has 270, actually 306 electoral votes. They're gaslighting people. That's all it is. And they continue to raise money on it. Trump is recently as yesterday sending out emails saying I need to raise a million dollars in the next hour or day or whatever it was. Um, Kaylee asked, why hasn't Donald Trump been more visible during the vaccine rollout? I mean, this is this is happening. 
And shouldn't he be there? We've, we barely see the president. Where has he been? He has nothing on his schedule ever. And uh, Kaylee, with a straight face, says it's because Trump's been so busy working. Why hasn't President Trump been more visible during uh, this initial vaccine rollout? You have the vice president in Indiana today. Uh, where's President Trump? Uh, President Trump's been hard at work on COVID behind the scenes just because you don't see him at the podium every day uh, doesn't mean that he's not aggressively pursuing actions on behalf of the American people. Uh, he's briefed on COVID regularly, um, and I'm here speaking with you guys. Others are out communicating this information. All the things she's talking about working behind the scenes, meetings, working on COVID, his public schedule is blank every day. It, it is the argument now, of course. When the president, there are things that are off a president's public schedule that the president does. Uh, but is the argument that just like having meetings about the vaccine are, are so secret that they can't even be on Trump's schedule? It's just more lies. Trump is doing nothing. Every report from inside the, the White House is that Trump is doing nothing. And then the sort of denouement here as she walks out is she, she of course, walks out after taking very few questions and not answering any of them in, in any real way. You hear in this next clip as she's walking out of the press briefing room. I love this. CNN's Jim Acosta asking Kaylee, isn't it hypocritical for you to accuse others of spreading disinformation when you spread it every day? A beautiful question. Someone like Trump might call it a nasty question, but it's an important question. Take a listen. Really interesting turn of events uh, and good for those who covered what was a story all along and not Russia disinformation. Isn't Isn't it hypocritical for you to accuse others of disinformation when you spread it every day? In a logical world, okay, if actions had logical consequences, no one would want to employ Kaylee McEnany after this absolute insanity of a White House press secretary tenure. Unfortunately, we know that she uh, likely is going to end up with some kind of very cushy gig, either. I don't know, as a consultant at some uh, right wing organization or doing communications for a company that has right wing leanings or who knows. But she is going to have a very soft landing. Don't if if, she should be unemployable based on the the deceit and the lies. But uh, she's going to have a fine landing. If you were worried about where Kaylee goes after this, don't 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 worry about it at all. We'll have more coverage of this and clips on the show's Instagram page at David Pakman show. And if you want to see what happened to my umbrella in very, very powerful Boston winds, Make sure you're following me on Instagram at David dot Pacman, a video that has taken, uh, I guess I was going to say the world by storm. Not really Uh, a video that has taken my followers by storm, Uh, me barely able to handle an umbrella in Boston wind. That's on my personal Instagram, David dot Pacman. We'll take a quick break up next. Mitch McConnell. He finally did it. What is it that he did? We'll talk about it in two minutes. The David Pacman show at David dot com. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone 
on a low carb keto diet, just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100 percent of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code Pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors is privacy.com. They're giving you five dollars when you sign up for their completely free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. I've been using privacy for a little over a year now. You've heard me talk about it before. It's a lifesaver. And here's how it works. Takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Anytime you buy something online or on the phone, instead of actually using your real credit card number, the privacy app and the browser plugin let you give each company a randomized virtual credit card number that you create out of thin air. It'll even autofill the card number with one click. And the payment is taken out of your checking account without the merchant ever knowing your real information. So this allows you to keep your banking information secure, but also to take control of your finances. You can create up to 12 of these virtual credit cards a month. You can set spending limits. You can freeze them. You can delete them anytime you want. So when you do this, it means you're not going to be charged when you don't want to be because you can destroy the virtual card number right after using it, which, for instance, I love using free trials because I know I won't be charged when the trial is over. If I use a virtual credit card number, you're keeping your identity private by not telling companies who you are. You're keeping your bank or credit card info protected against data breaches and identity theft. And it's free. There's no catch whatsoever. But if you want, privacy also offers a ten dollar a month plan that gives you one percent cash back and lets you create thirty six credit cards a month and a twenty five dollar a month plan tailored more for small businesses where you can create sixty card numbers a month and much more. But definitely go ahead and at least get started with the free plan. You'll protect your financial info. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. And like I said, you'll get five dollars to spend when you sign up at privacy.com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. If there's anybody approximating a kingmaker remaining in the Republican Party, to some degree, it is actually 78 year old Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and love him or hate him. And I don't like the guy. He has been one of the most effective Republicans in the last decade at just getting things done when Republicans want to do something and blocking Democrats from doing things when Republicans don't want them doing things. The Merrick Garland Supreme Court nomination certainly comes to mind. And immediately following Joe Biden's formal electoral uh, electoral college win on Monday, where each state's electors voted and confirmed that indeed Joe Biden has 270 electoral votes, Mitch McConnell acknowledged Joe Biden's win and congratulated Joe Biden. Now, this is not praise of Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell avoided acknowledging that Joe Biden won for five weeks after the election, even when it was obvious that Joe Biden had won. This is not about Mitch McConnell being a good guy. It's once again, even someone as horrible as Mitch McConnell, as unwilling to admit what is there and plain to see as Mitch McConnell is saying Joe Biden won 
effectively ending any remote possibility that the Republican Party would insist that Joe Biden didn't really win. Here is Mitch McConnell yesterday on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Take a listen. But our system of government has processes to determine who will be sworn in on January the 20th. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The president-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. I also want to congratulate the vice president-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. Beyond our differences, all Americans can take pride that our nation has a female vice president-elect for the very first time. I look forward to finishing out the next 36 days strong with President Trump. Our nation needs us to add another bipartisan chapter to this record of achievement. So this is important for a few reasons. Number one, this signals that there's really nothing left for Trump. I mean, truly nothing to try to steal this election. Now, I know that the QAnon people and the cultists and even Trump himself and, you know, Kaylee McEnany, as we saw earlier, they're, they're going to continue acting as if there's more to do. Maybe Jenna Ellis is going to if she's recovered from coronavirus, they're going to keep going. But when even the Senate majority on the, on January 6th, who do you think is going to interfere with Joe Biden officially being a president elect in terms of Congress accepting the votes? It would be members of the Republican Party in the House and Senate. And the Senate majority leader here has said congratulations to Joe Biden. So it signals the the emptying of the bag of tricks, so to speak. But secondly, this is also relevant and important for people who were dreaming of something to happen uh, sometime between now and the inauguration that would slow down or prevent Joe Biden swearing in. When Mitch McConnell acknowledges the president elect, it really makes that dream or really it's a nightmare. It makes it all but an impossibility. And we also learned that Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden spoke after this. Congratulations. Here's Joe Biden briefly speaking to the media yesterday, uh, telling us how that call with Mitch McConnell went. I had a good conversation with Mitch McConnell today. He talked to, he, I called him to thank him for the congratulations. Told him, although we disagree on a lot of things, there's things we can work together on. We've always been stable with one, one another, and uh, we agreed we'd get together sooner than later. And I'm looking forward to working with him. I just want you to know I spoke with him. Uh, I've been calling other members. I spoke with some other members as well. There's about a dozen calling. And as I kick them off, I'll tell you who I've spoken to. Okay? Thank you. So that's straightforward and to, and to the point there. So slowly but surely, all of the remaining I's are dotted and T's are crossed. To nobody's surprise, except for the millions of Trump cultists who thought that this might go some other way. Now, my only concern about what Joe Biden said continues to be the same one I've had from before the election. I hope that Joe Biden is merely paying lip service to the idea of getting things done with Mitch McConnell, because it would be cartoonishly naive to think that this Republican Party is going to work with you on anything. And as I've said before, the only way you would get this Republican Party to work with you on anything, there's there's two scenarios in which this Republican Party might help you. One is if they determined that getting in the way of what you're working on would actually hurt them electorally. Like if you if they determine, imagine that there's no stimulus passed now and Biden gets to oversee a, a second stimulus. If Republicans determine that not doing a second stimulus is bad for them, 
they might actually come to the table with with Joe Biden, but they would still try to make it mostly for corporations uh, and not really for for individuals. The second scenario where Republicans would work with Joe Biden or work with Democrats in general is if Joe Biden and Democrats are willing to accept such outrageous compromise to get Republicans on board, that it becomes almost like a Pyrrhic victory where it's a victory on paper, but you may actually be doing more harm than good in so working with these Republicans. So my concern continues to be the naivete if Joe Biden really thinks he's going to work with these people. He's not now very quickly. Mitch McConnell became enemy number one of the Trump cult. We'll do more about this later, but just one example for you here. This is a video clip of Trump sycophant Charlie Kirk actually saying that this might be Mitch McConnell ruining the chances in Georgia of the Republican candidates by acknowledging that Joe Biden won. And so if Mitch McConnell wants to wake up on January 6th and be met with two of his Senate candidates all of a sudden trailing in Georgia, Keep talking like this. Go out of your way to use the term congratulate. If he had to and was getting pressure, he could have at the very most today I will recognize. I probably would have taken exception with that. But the term congratulations inherently means that you are applauding and recognizing an achievement of success. When do you use congratulations in your life? When people attain athletic accomplishments, when people get married, engaged. You typically don't use the term congratulations when someone just stole a bank. I love that. Charlie going full on. He's Charlie doesn't even stop at robbing a bank. He says it's like stealing the entire bank, just picking up the whole bank and taking it. Really fascinating stuff. So this is a similar situation to some Trumpists who now think Fox News is liberal and part of the problem. The idea that someone as wretchedly conservative as Mitch McConnell might not be a strong enough right winger just shows you how extreme the Trump cult has become. But understand that part of this is calculation by Mitch. Mitch knows they don't have the votes to actually stop Joe Biden from being president. They know, he knows they can't do anything. And Mitch McConnell wants to get back to the standard partisan bickering and Republican obstruction of Democrats as soon as possible. And so what Mitch McConnell is effectively doing here is kind of ripping the bandaid off now and getting people back to reality sooner. Get Republicans back to being united about, you know, the deficit and stopping anything Democrats want to do. So I, I actually looking at it from the standpoint of Mitch McConnell. I think what he's doing here actually makes perfect sense. It obviously makes sense based on the votes. Biden won and we knew that five weeks ago. But I think it also even is the right strategy if your goal is reunite the Republican Party and let's get back to stopping Joe Biden from doing a damn thing. And they may well uh, succeed at it. So we talked about Republican Senator Mitch uh, McConnell ending the overt farce that the last five weeks have been and congratulating Joe Biden as president elect since, after all, Joe Biden did win the election. Now we immediately have the blowback to this story, which is that almost instantly Donald Trump himself and Trumpists, including QAnon conspiracy theorists and others, immediately turned on Mitch McConnell, fomenting the Republican civil war we discussed earlier in the week. Earlier this week, I did a segment called Republican Civil War. 
MAGA protesters chant destroy the Republican Party. And that story generated quite a bit of interest. And in that segment, I said whether there is reconciliation within the Republican Party as Joe Biden becomes president will depend on Trump and what Trump does. Now, we um, uh, have two sort of primary scenarios. If Trump just shuts up and disappears to play golf or do whatever, the Republican Party will come back together. The wackiest elements like QAnon will evaporate and you'll get back to the pre Trump Republican Party. On the other hand, if Donald Trump and his most ardent cultists keep going, you may have a protracted Republican civil war. And if it goes on for a few more weeks, it might actually hurt Republicans in the Georgia Senate runoffs, which would be great. And it's looking more and more uh, like at least in the next month. That second scenario is the most likely scenario. Very late last night or early this morning, I think just after midnight Eastern time, Donald Trump took to Twitter in response to Mitch McConnell congratulating Joe Biden and acknowledging that Joe Biden won and is the president elect. Trump tweeted and quoted from an article and said, Mitch, 75 million votes, a record for a sitting president by a lot too soon to give up. Republican Party must finally learn to fight. People are angry and indeed right on cue. The QAnon conspiracy theorists, QAnon being this pro Trump conspiracy ideology listed as a domestic terror threat by the FBI, QAnon conspiracy theorists immediately started accusing Mitch McConnell of working for the deep state, of being a rhino, a Republican in name only, which is pretty funny, which uh, since he's the Senate majority leader, many QAnon cultist accounts on social media said they would be leaving the Republican Party because Mitch McConnell acknowledged an empirical reality that Joe Biden won the election. And the messages from the QAnon people ranged from you're a disgrace, Mitch McConnell, to today marks the birth of the America First Party, to congratulations, bitch McConnell, today marked the death knell of the Republican Party because of your treasonous actions telling party members not to back Trump. So a few thoughts on this, all relevant to the next two to four years of American politics. First, Trump mad at Mitch McConnell. QAnon mad at Mitch McConnell, Trump mad at the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp. This is a dream for Democrats trying to win these two Senate seats and take control of the Senate for the next two years. We've said the polling is close in Georgia and it's really a toss up. I mean, we've got margins of one to two in the polls that we're seeing for both Democratic challengers, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Uh, you really can't dream up a better scenario in a red state where Democrats are trying to win then some Republicans thinking it's rigged against them and maybe staying home boycotting the election while others are threatening to leave the party. You could not ask for a better scenario as uh, Democratic uh, challengers trying to uh, take over seats currently held by Republican incumbents. So this little kerfuffle has the potential to hand Senate control to Democrats. This also thinking more broadly, this also signals the future about something we've talked about, talked about before. What happens to Trumpists when Trump leaves? Do they simply become regular Republicans and start talking about lowering taxes and regulations and paying off the debt? Because that's not what the QAnon types have been during the Trump cult peak years. It seems to me that for many of these QAnon and Trump cultists, it's not going to be rewarding or interesting. It's going to be too milk toast to just be normal Republicans. And we might see some of them leave politics altogether. Some maybe get involved in something more radical, and that's exactly the signal that they're sending right now. Now, just a funny side note on the Mitch McConnell congratulations thing. Vladimir Putin and Mitch McConnell both congratulated Joe Biden this week for winning. 
Trump only lashed out at Mitch McConnell. <laughs> it's just it's poetically perfect and it uh, it continues to be. But we're getting closer to the end. And I want to remind you, January 121. So this is our 1121 membership drive. We want to start the next year off really powerfully. So on January 1st, we are doing a one day membership special. It will be themed based on the date. So the special will be related to 1121. Okay. That's all I'm saying. If you want to be, if you've been thinking, ah, I kind of like what you do, David, but you know, I don't really like your voice or I don't really like the shape of your mouth, as someone wrote to me last week, but you like the content and you've been thinking about supporting, get on our newsletter at davidpackman.com. And then on January 1, you will be notified perfectly with instructions as to how to take advantage of this great membership special. Quick break, back after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpackman.com slash watch. A brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackman.com slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. I have to admit that this story kind of bums me out, and you'll understand why in a little bit. It relates it relates to my youth in some sense. Um, Fox Business host Maria Bartiromo is now sinking so low that that it's actually depressing. Um, you, I am sure, at this point have heard that Joe Biden won the presidential election, that the Electoral College confirmed it. Joe Biden has most of his cabinet selected. Donald Trump lost in court like 50 times or something like that. The Supreme Court has said no thanks to his case. And Fox Business host Maria Bartiromo, now really a second rate Fox host, even by their standards, is a really aggressive Trump brown noser and claimed yesterday that an intel source Wait for it. An intel source told her Donald Trump actually won the election. Let's look at the clip and then I'm going to tell you about the sort of tragic downfall of Maria Bartiromo. An intel source telling me that President Trump did, in fact, win the election. He says that it is up to the Supreme Court to hear suits from other cases across the country to stop the clock. This follows the high court's refusal to hear the lawsuit from Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, challenging results in four swing states. Now, you might say, well, David, 
If an intel source did tell her that she's not lying, she's merely reporting it and the intel source could simply be wrong or mistaken. But is that really the argument you want to make? That's the hill you want to die on. Maria Bartiromo is more than 50 years old and she's been a journalist in some way, shape or form for almost 30 years. And we're standing behind what she said is OK and responsible to air as long as some intel person really did tell her with no vetting or connection or actual evidence. She says, this is what they told me. It's actually shocking how Maria Bartiromo has fallen from being a great financial reporter to being what is in short a conspiracy theorist Trump suck up. That's what she is at this point. And the, the way this relates to my youth is when I first got into trading stocks back in the year 2000, when I was in high school, I started watching CNBC because I guess that's what you do, or at least what you did at the time. And at the time, Maria Bartiromo really did excellent interviews of big time Fortune 500 CEOs. She would hold them accountable. Her interview preparation was second to none. She, she was fantastic. And she was the first TV journalist to report live from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. She won Emmys for that. She was well recognized by the Italian American community in New York City related to her amazing story, working her way up from her early days in Brooklyn as a kid, being a coat checker at her dad's restaurant. I mean, it's just an amazing story. And she was a top notch interviewer for more than a decade. And then she joined Fox in 2013. Things sort of started to get a little bit shaky. But then when Trump ran in 2016, she developed like an on air relationship with Trump and got to interview Donald Trump and became essentially a, a, a dishonest PR person for Don, Donald Trump rather than a journalist, which sadly sometimes happens to people when they go over to Fox News. And it really is sad. So here's my my uh, ask of you. Don't let this happen to me. Hold me accountable. I don't think it would happen, but I'm telling you right now, if I do something like this, you can go ahead and cancel your membership. It would be embarrassing and pathetic to me, to my family, to the people that have supported this show. But I'm sure it's lucrative for her. And who doesn't want to have a friend in the White House? Right. That is that that's actually one of the things that sometimes uh, I, I think those who are only very casual observers of media don't get, which is that the the appeal of access to people in power makes media people do really crazy things sometimes. And I've said before how I don't really care about being friends with politicians. There are a number of elected officials in the U.S. House and, and in other offices that, that I'm in touch with. And we have what I guess we would call like personal relationships, but they're not like I, I'm I, you know, if they do something wrong and it's even happened, I cover it and I'm not really impressed. I, I've said we shouldn't deify these people, but maybe when it gets to a certain level and it's the president, maybe if the president wants to be your friend, you just repeat whatever nonsense the president wants you to say. I don't know, uh, but it's really a tragedy what's happened to Maria Bartiromo. I have completely unsurprising, not shocking news for you today. A 50 year study of tax cuts has determined that when you give the very rich tax cuts, things don't trickle down and inequality actually gets worse. Now, 
if you understand economics at all, you, you would say, David, how is this even a story? But there's a large part of this country that still thinks you give tax cuts to the rich. Money trickles down and it reduces inequality and everything's good. Uh, this is a paper from the London School of Economics and King's College London, and it looked at 50 years of tax cuts for the wealthy across 18 different countries. And they evaluated claims like trickle down uh, uh, tax cuts for the rich trickle down and help the economy or uh, cutting taxes on the rich reduces inequality. And what they found is that cutting taxes on the rich increases inequality, gives the rich more money with almost nothing trickling down below overall increases inequality and doesn't improve economic performance overall. It doesn't lead to economic growth. It doesn't lead to employment growth. It just causes higher income inequality. And one of the things that is important to understand about this is that uh, there are always going to be let, let's divide this up into two ways. I think that for a lot of just average people who don't study economics, this idea was always a hard sell. I think to, to just normal folks who have not been radicalized to fall for trickle down economics, if you go to normal people who just work a job and don't think too much about it and you say, hey, if we give tax cuts to the really rich, do you think it helps you? You go to a laundromat owner or a hardware store owner or a teacher and you say, hey, we're giving billionaires and people with over 50 million in assets. We're giving them a tax cut. Do you think this will help you? I think that's always been a hard sell for the average person. But there is an entire movement that is uh, based around paying people at think tanks and other places to claim that tax cuts for the rich are going to help everybody in some way. And the assumption that really fails is that when you cut taxes for the rich, more people are hired and it fails for a number of different reasons. First of all, most of the money doesn't even enter the ecosystem of where it would affect hiring because rich people have a much higher savings rate than poor people. If you give a poor person a 5% reduction in their tax taxes, they're almost certainly going to spend all of that money. If you give a really, really rich person a 5% reduction in their taxes, they're going to save most of that money because they're not counting on that money to live. And uh, as a result, because the money is just being saved, it's not being spent by rich people in a way that creates a need for more employees or a need to pay employees more money. Number two, even the money that the rich do spend at a business, only part of that goes to wages. And mostly that additional spending that the rich do goes to profits and part of the hard costs of the things that they are buying. The driver of hiring we know is demand. It's not labor supply. And this is often an argument that's missing when talking about illegal immigration or immigration in general. The, the argument that we hear goes they come here legally or illegally doesn't for our economic argument. It doesn't matter. They take our jobs and because they increase the supply of labor, wages go down. It's basic economics. They say you bring in a lot more people looking for work and companies can pay less and they're stealing jobs and lowering wages. Well, remember, wages are only part of the cost of a good or service. And remember that all of those immigrants in your community, legal or illegal immigrants, they also buy stuff. They also rent apartments. They also buy food. They go to restaurants. So what's missing from this overly simplistic analysis is that when you have immigrants come in looking for work, 
it's a huge increase to demand because you have more people demanding products and services, which under the same simple economic argument would mean businesses can raise prices and make more money. Right. And people only talk about supply of labor to argue against immigration and ignore the other side of that, which is the demand increase, which is good for businesses. And this has all been demonstrated academically by countless economic papers. So what what's missing? You know, anybody surprised to get back to the main article? Anybody surprised that over 50 years in 18 different countries, cutting taxes for the rich didn't trickle down, but it just increased income inequality. You you lack and I'm not saying this pejoratively. You, you it sounds like you just lack a more holistic macroeconomic understanding. Of course, cutting taxes for the rich didn't stimulate the economy in the way that some of these supply siders think. Let me know your thoughts, uh, but a, a completely unsurprising result. OK, we have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here is a of increasingly popular question about Trump and his relationship to Twitter after he's no longer president. Hey, David, I had a quick question. So with the recent uh, news about Donald Trump's Twitter account, getting those little information labels underneath his um, disproven tweets, and then recently uh, he was almost soft locked where people couldn't reply to his tweet right. um, because it was disproven. Do you think that he eventually, once he's no longer president, do you think that Twitter is going to ban his account? And if so, do you think he's going to just try and make a new one? Or do you think he's going to transfer to a new social media site such as Gap, which has more of an alt-right leaning uh, user base? Yeah, I, I think that there's a really good chance Trump gets banned from Twitter when he's no longer president. We've talked already about Section 230. We talked about Trump losing world leader protections on January 20th. And I, I do think that if it happens, it will be a boon for whatever platform Trump chooses to promote that he's switching over to. Uh, and there's a bunch of different, you know, there's Parler, there's all these different all these different platforms. I think the day Trump gets banned from Twitter, if it happens, and it's announced, join us over on this other app. Uh, that is going to be a uh, golden a golden day for for whichever app Donald Trump uh, switches to. But yeah, I think the risk of banning being banned from Twitter is really high. We have a great bonus show for you today. We have a California sheriff refusing to comply with an order to release certain inmates due to COVID. How is that going to shake out? Who's going to win that? Wall Street has started to trade water futures as a commodity. I've been warning about this for a decade, and we're going to have a discussion about f the, the potential for future water wars. And then I want to talk a little bit about the 80 million Americans who cho chose not to vote at all in this past election. Why didn't they vote? NPR did a very interesting uh, investigation and story about the 80 million who did not vote in this past election. And we will talk about that as well. Get instant access to today's bonus show where I will be joined by producer Pat by signing up at joinpacman.com. If you would like a discount, I have a discount available. It's with the coupon code Fresh Start. All one word, all lowercase, no space. Fresh Start saves you bigly money dollars. Bigly money dollars to be saved using the coupon code Fresh Start. I'll see you on the bonus show.